Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. First off, we'd like to thank W.J. Pierce for creating and performing that wonderful piece of music you just heard. Good evening and welcome to the show. Uh, joining us tonight, we have a woman who has been a professional writer for 48 years. <laughs> Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough has sold exactly 95 books and written more than 70 works of short fiction and more than three dozen essays, introductions, and reviews. She also composes serious music. Her first professional writing in 1961 and 1962 was a playwright for a now long defunct children's theater company. By the mid-60s, she had switched to writing stories and hasn't stopped yet. In 1997, the Transylvanian Society of Dracula bestowed a literary knighthood on Yarbrough, and in 2003, the World Horror Association presented her with a Grand Master Award. In 2006, the International Horror Guild enrolled her among their living legends, the first woman to be so honored. Uh, The Horror Writers Association gave her a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2009, and in 2014, she won a Life Achievement Award from the World Fantasy Convention. All right. This is a very accomplished woman, and she has mm-hmm. a lot of fun stories to tell. We've been talking to her earlier, and we've already gotten all of our cat conversations out of the way. We know what all of our cats <laughs> eat. And so, so, yep. <laughs> cantaloupe. <laughs> yes, cantaloupe. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the living legend, Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the show. <laughs> yes, well, you know, there's something rather daunting about hearing those lists because it's sort of like it doesn't feel like I I've done as much as I want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And and just so you know, yeah. that was the, that was the condensed bio that I read. I really, <laughs> there's a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> That's the condensed version. <laughs> but yeah. So, well, you know, so, I'm 74. If I don't have a certain amount of things that's interesting by this time, yeah. I'm definitely barking up the wrong tree. It's true. The one question, the one thing that I'm curious about, I think probably more than anything, I mean, there's a lot of things to talk about, but, but right off the bat, I'm like, how, okay. Now when we have talked off, uh, you know, um, you've said that, that when you were very young, you decided, that your mm-hmm. your goal was to write 100 books before I died. Yep. Right. So yeah, now that six. you're yeah six years old, <laughs> nice. So yeah. now that you are at number 95, I think it's safe to say that you could probably easily hit that. Will you stop well, at 100 actually, books? Hell no. Uh, <laughs> if we count the books that, that you know that that didn't sell, or the books that you know got. Uh, bumped off a list because of things like mergers and stuff like that. I've actually written about 105, but, you know, I only count the ones that actually reach the public. Nice. Nice. Yes. So, your new book. A couple of, wait a second, a couple of them, you know, it's just as good that they didn't reach the public, but that's, you know, that's the (laughs) the fault of what you do when you you are young and foolish and think people can read your mind. Now, now I've probably asked you this before, but I'm going to ask you again just in case, you know, there's new people listening. And uh, uh, out of those 95 books, 95 full-length novels, which is amazing. Congratulations on that, by the way. Out of those 95 books, what, in your opinion, is your masterpiece, your, your, your best yet? The next one. The next one. Love that answer. Always. <laughs> Always it's true. I mean, I've done all I can do with the ones that I've done before. And the only thing that, you know, has all kinds of avenues open is the one I haven't written yet. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. 
Right. And, you know, the other, the other thing is when you, you know, when you've written a lot of stuff over a lot of years, what happens is, you know, the ones that you feel good about and the ones that you think you really hit the nail on the head with change. It's like I won't answer what my favorite book is because it changes constantly. You yeah. know, when people say, you know, well, you, you read a lot, so, you know, of all the things you read, what's your favorite? Well, there's some I come back to a lot and I really love, and there's some that I love like hell when I first read them, and then over time they no longer speak to me in the same way. And that's just the, that's just the reality of living. Right, right. Uh-huh. But the next yeah. one is always my favorite. Nice. Yeah. So, do you know Do you know what you're going to write when you're finished before you're finished with a, a current book? Do you know what you're going to write, or does it come to you while you're writing the current book? Or, um, well, I try to be contracted um, about two to three books ahead, just so I know, you know, where I yeah. start researching next. Because, of course, I do a lot of research as a general rule, and you know, so when I when I've got a couple books ahead, while I'm writing the one that I, whatever the one I'm working on, I spend a little time researching the next one. Yeah. In, that, that allows me to, you know, be reasonably uh, easy in changing gears because every book requires a new set of gears. I mean, if we were cars, uh-huh. our transmission prices would be absolutely, you know, skyrocketed. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, how do you do your research? Like for the Chesterton Holt books that you're doing now, the Jazz Age Mysteries, that must be some fun research getting into that era. It's one of my favorites. Well, the nice thing is there are a lot of newspapers that are from the period that are still around. So you can go in and you can find out, among other things, the kinds of names people had at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, women's first names, I mean, there weren't any Tiffany's. That didn't happen. Right. Right. You know, until, <laughs> until the 70s. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, there are all kinds of names that have sort of gone out of fashion, like Maud. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you have, yeah. and, you know, you, have, so you can get a good idea of what the range of names that were popular were. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's one of the ways to give it a, a feeling of authenticity, especially for, you know, things like, you know, the 20s, because most of us, are aware, if we didn't know, we are aware of relatives who were alive at the time, and we know that they didn't have the same kind of first names that we have. Right, right. Right. So, you you know, something else about words that you told me that has always come into my own work. Um, You have to be sure that you have the right exclamations, the right slang, like in the, the... these books, ye gods, I just love that, ye gods. And, well, that's, you know, that's, but, about, yeah. that's about, as, out, about as far out as a woman could use and be, you know, not shock people. It's like the reason that Loring is always apologizing for saying uh, okay, because at that time, okay was military slang. It was all over the military, but it was considered uh-huh. slightly déclassé to use it, you know, amongst civilians. Uh, that's fascinating. Yeah. And, it's it's weird. Like I, I'm doing one that takes place in 1968, and just for instance, I have not used the word groovy yet, even though I know I used it in '68. <laughs> what do you have to say the about one, these words the other, that are long gone? Yeah, the, the other one, the other one that you can use toward the end of the '60s is grok, because Stranger in the Strange oh, yeah. Land had been had been published, and grok sort of suddenly filtered through the um, the, uh, the vocabulary of especially people, anything from about 16 to about 25. Yeah, that's what I read it, and that's, I still say it. It's such an easy word to say compared to fully understand. See, and, and that's what it meant the first time. Yeah, you said grok <laughs> to me before. She said grok to me yeah, before. Yeah, I said it a lot of times. What? What? Mm-hmm. What is grok? <laughs> what does that mean? I've never heard this before. Yeah. <laughs> I was shorthand. Sure yeah. Totally lost. He grokks it now, though. Yeah, I grok well, it now. Like, I totally grok it. Yeah, well, yeah. it's like trying to explain to people, um, you know, what a cop means if they say something is hinky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, right. You know, 
Yeah, I I had a cop friend who you know because I'd heard it used, but I didn't I couldn't figure out from the way people who weren't cops were using it what they actually meant. Uh-huh. So you know, but they would say you know well that's you know. It, 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 it cycled back to police. So I got together with Rob on one occasion, and I asked him, I said, okay, what does this word mean to a cop? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, yeah. it, he said, you know, it it doesn't add up. It doesn't make it, – it doesn't – what they say happened isn't what happened because it can't have been what happened. You know, there's yeah. something off about it. Not all the way, obviously, a lie or wrong, but just not – not highly specified or not accurately specified. Yeah. 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 And so then no, there's LOL, which used to mean little yeah. old lady. Yeah. yeah, little old lady. <laughs> it was little old lady and then, and then lots of love. I remember for a very brief time it was lots of love, and now it's laughing out loud. Yeah. You know, I've even said LOL. <laughs> yeah. Out loud. LOL. Because he's like, tired. Oh, yeah, I just want to bother. <laughs> <laughs> and if but I'm saying LOL, well, I'm I'm obviously not actually LOLing, am I? Yeah, no, but right, <laughs> pretty snide. I, I, yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious though. You you've been you know you're you're famous for your historicals. You're, you write incredibly accurate historicals. But but I'm curious about in the in the very beginning. You know what what is it about history that that in, that fascinates you? enough that you have been able to do this for so many years? Well, for one thing, I really love Shakespeare. And, you know, the chronicle plays are, are fascinating. Many, in many instances, they are, shall we say, slanted. But that's okay because it's Shakespeare. I, you know, I can forgive him anything because he did everything right. But, you know, um, you, read, uh, you read his ability to give you a sense of being in another time even for an Elizabethan to be in another time, in such a way that without lecturing you, he pulls you into it. And that's, that's the, the thing that, you know, when I find myself trying to think, what am I not doing? I'm not pulling you into the time. And that means I've got to right. go and learn some more things. Like, you know, okay, it's like I used to have a wonderful uh, researcher. You know, now I can look things up on the Internet, but we didn't have the Internet back then. And uh, right. occasionally he would he would find a book and he would buy it for me and say I bought you a book and there would always be I'd have this moment of panic you know what did he buy, and the first time he did it I said okay, what book do you are you sure I want, and he said it's the footgear of the Roman legions, and I said you're right I want that book. <laughs> right, nice, nice. Is, is is there a certain time period that you are uh, particularly uh, fond of, and is there a you know, conversely, a time period that you just think is just a total drag. <laughs> well, most of history is pretty pretty horrifying, but uh, you know, I, I I am fond of the of the of the Romans, the Imperial Romans, because they mm-hmm. they are of all the ancient peoples I've studied, they are more like us than anybody else. I mean, they love their games, they really did. They like them a little bloodier than we like ours. But if you could have given them, say, Dirty Harry movies and and you know NFL and um, uh, you know uh, all kinds of car races, they'd have been just as happy. And they loved yeah. gadgets. They they gave women legal rights. Oh my God, what a terrible thought! And um, you know <laughs> they had they had some they had some real they had some laws that we're still using today. And their idea that you know that you run an empire by laws rather than by fear and dictatorships, you know, was quite astonishing. I mean, even their dictators had to answer to the Senate, and every now and then the civs shut them down. And even better, when the Senate did something really screwy, which they sometimes did, you know, the Vestal Virgins could set them, shut them down. Right. And did. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. they had their own checks and balances. They worked a little differently than ours. But they did have them, and they certainly, you know, they were not there in just in name until very late in the Roman Empire when the Christians started screwing things up for them. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> and I love the Italian Renaissance. I mean, you know, I just love mm. it. I mean, I know it would not be any fun to live in if I were going from <laughs> this period to that period. Right, right. But, yeah. You know, I I certainly I certainly have, you know, after reading all this medieval, you know, everything is God intended and the only way you can change is if God or the devil takes action in your life. Ah, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, you know, I always... Century after century after century, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah. what is wrong with you people? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Now, now we would I, be, we would be, and we'll definitely get in, into your, 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 your latest release. Uh, I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about the play that you were recently involved into. But before we go there, uh, we would be um, yelled at, if not, if not severely punished, if we didn't talk a little bit about Saint Germain. This yep. series... When did this when did this series start? What inspired it and and where are you taking it? Well, um how to put it? Um it started way way back in my life. Um I um I got I got interested in folklore when I was about 7 and I'm still interested in folklore. And so I would, you know, find all kinds of things that interested me and some of it was pretty horrific because a lot of folklore is, you know, cautionary tales with, you know, very, very serious repercussions if you get it wrong. And um, so that started, and um, I began, I guess I was about 14 or 15 when I started reading about the occult, and which is where I found the historical Saint Germain. And at 14, I read Dracula, and I was absolutely astonished by it. Um, it's, you know, it's a wonderful book and Bram Stoker did a hell of a job putting it together. And, um, I, um, after, after a while I, I read it again when I was in college and got, shall we say, a broader appreciation for some of the things he was doing in terms of social commentary and such, but it didn't change the fact that it was still this really, really good and wonderfully creepy. It isn't often right out scary. What it is is creepy and, you know, you read enough of it and it will creep you out. Oh yeah. So yeah. And uh, but yeah. at that point I began asking, okay, let's take out all the religious bludgeons and let's get rid of that Van Helsing. And what is he actually doing that is so very bad? You know, he's giving you an intense erotic experience, after which you may tend to be like him. Well, I could think right. of a lot worse face. Yeah. And and True. so um, you know I began to wonder how far you could push. The, uh, the you know the, the vampire paradigm and still have a recognizable uh, vampire into the positive uh, forms and um, so I got the idea for Hotel Trans um, uh, in about '68 uh, or '69 and I began making notes you know the kinds of wonderful little mm-hmm. scribbles that only you understand and sometimes even you don't get them and um, uh, I was thinking that you know I, w- I thought of you know the th- setting it in um, you know, 1743 uh, came earlier. I thought, you know, the 19th century belongs to Stoker and Polidori. I won't touch it. But I saw the advantage of dealing with the 18th century, partially because being in a society that was about to collapse, but they didn't know it, as we never know when societies are about to collapse if we're in them. Um, and um, and so taking that period, and I kept running into Saint-Germain, the historical man. Right. And uh, okay. I, I thought that originally that I would use him as a secondary character, some you know, a way to make it more in its period and of its type, and that I would invent a vampire. But the, the farther I, I I went in in making preparations to do this, I kept thinking, you know, why am I bothering? There's this guy who's stocky, five foot six, always wears black and white, is never seen to eat in public. Um, doesn't necessarily have a girlfriend. Nobody knows where he comes from. He's very, he claims to be two to 4,000 years old, depending on, you know, which year you catch him. And you look at this and say, yeah, why am I bothering? He's standing all five foot six of him right in front of me. And that's how right. I got Saint-Germain to be, to be, you know, the Saint-Germain. Nice. nice. So now what are some of the, what are some of the, like, you know, I think a big, a big, topic when it comes to to vampires uh right now is is kind of like like the rules like you you sounds like you really loved uh dracula i did too and and when you write the mm-hmm. vampire novel which all all of us have you're kind of faced with this with this question of what what are you going to do what are the rules that your vampires uh oh, yeah, yeah. live, live anytime, by so like Anytime you're dealing with a supposedly supernatural creature or any kind of magical system, you have to make the rules and then you must not break them because that will ruin the credibility with the reader. And it should. It should. Exactly. I agree. So, so what are some yeah. of the rules that you like? Do your vampires uh, only go out at, at 
night or or do they can they are they afraid of garlic? What are some of the things that you uh, well garlic, over? garlic doesn't garlic doesn't bother Saint-Germain. And the way he walks around in the daylight is that he lines his shoes with his native herb. He's not foolish. Right. And <laughs> you know <laughs> and he's got you know, he's got his native herb in the you know, in the seat of his of his coach. And, you right. know, and it's a part of the lining of his saddles. So he's on his native earth. The one thing he cannot do uh, with any comfort whatsoever is cross running water. He always feels, you know, slightly queasy crossing water, running water. Though he does it from time to time, he really doesn't like it. Right. And, uh, you, you know, he, um, the only nourishment he takes is blood. And he doesn't take an awful lot because what, what's really feeding him is emotion. Yeah. And what yeah. he's one of the reasons he's such a very, very good lover is that, you know, he wants the biggest charge from what he's doing as he can, as can be achieved. And if she doesn't have a really, really good time, neither will he. I love that. (laughs) So, so you would, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of times when somebody's, you know, when somebody starts a series as, as long ago as, as you began this, when the characters are, you know, they can be like night and day, uh, but but you you're you've always maintained a, a, a really uh, anchored uh, integrity. However, it's impossible not to evolve. So what 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 are some of the ways that you would say that Saint Germain has uh, evolved as a character over the years? Well, I go I go jackrabbiting around in history. You know, I, I'm not writing these in chronological order. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, I I, I bounce around for. Di- different periods of history, which allows me to explore, explore not only the, the societies and the cultures of the time, but, you know, his level of participation and his understanding of them. And, of course, yeah. really, as I, as, as I tell people, they are really and truly books about the lives of women. Interesting. Because, yeah. see, I've, never, yeah. I've never heard you say that. I've never heard you say that. Explain that. Well, you know, he becomes intensely involved in the lives of the women that he gets involved with. And, you know, uh, so we focus on the lives they are living because he's focusing on the lives they are living. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And he's a wonderful yeah. point of view, Terry, that, yeah. that way. Because since he is not in his own culture by a long shot, you know, he can see the cultural traps that are set and the and the various ways in which, uh, you know, the position of women is is favored and unfavored. Right, right. <laughs> which contemporaries cannot do, even if they would like to, which most of them wouldn't. <laughs> and, you know, and that gives me a wonderful, wonderful way to examine these lives through sympathetic eyes, other than mine. Right, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 yeah, it is. It's it's, it's great. I uh, what we need to get to now um, is uh, it's, living it's specters. Yes, and, yep. <laughs> living specters, a Chesterton Holt gentleman haunt mystery. Um, we're going to talk about that. That is the, the your latest release, and Tamara's uh, actually going to read an excerpt from it. But first, uh, I just want to remind the listeners that this is Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. You can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamarathorne.com, or you can visit our mutual blog at thorneandcross.wordpress.com. If you tweet, our handle is at thorncross, and uh, be sure to stop by Facebook and uh, visit our page, uh, Haunted Nights Live page. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at authorsontheair.com. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. We are here with uh, Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough, author of 95 books, uh, writer for 48 years. This is a a legend we have with us tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And we are going to talk about (laughs) Living Spectres, the second in uh, the Chesterton Holt Gentleman Haunt Mystery Series. Uh, Before we get into it, uh, Tamara, would you like to read an excerpt? Okay, well, let's let's read what it's about, because that'll explain the excerpt. Um, right. Philadelphia, 1924. 
It's been three months since crime reporter Poppy Thornton was left to die in an abandoned warehouse by her cousin Stacy, chief suspect in a high society murder. Rescued by the quick thinking of Chesterton Holt, her gentleman haunt, and police inspector J.B. Loring, Poppy is determined to get the real story and see justice done. But Stacy has fled Philadelphia with the widow of the man he's accused of murdering, and now an international manhunt is on for the suspected conspirators. As that search continues, Poppy, Holt, and Loring have a new mystery, the disappearance of, and I'm going to ask Quinn, is it G-A-D or G-A-D? G-A-D. G-A-D, G-A-D That's what I figured. Okay. Yep. 18-year-old heir to the Pierce Fortune, who has vanished while traveling through Eastern Europe. The suspects range from the young man's jealous siblings to a mysterious cult of Armenian refugees. Once again, Holt uses his ghostly powers to uncover answers and pass on what he learns to Poppy, who must then alert Loring without revealing her otherworldly source. Is Gad still alive? Can Poppy keep her job despite social convention, the disdain of her male colleagues, and the dangerous attraction she feels to Loring? Will the authorities succeed in tracking Stacy down? What's really going on behind closed doors of the politicians and bankers who run the city and state? And as for as the search for the truth takes Poppy and Holt deeper into a forest of dark secrets and official corruption, who will die next? Now, before I read the little excerpt, <laughs> um, it had that old-fashioned feel. I love that. But before I read the excerpt, is there anything you want to say about it? Well, it's chapter 22, so there's a whole bunch of stuff that's gone on in this in, in this Living Specters before it. So there may be a couple things that seem a little weird. Don't worry about it. Buy the book, and you can find out what they're really talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, what had been drizzle on Saturday turned into serious rain on Sunday. As the day went on, the wind rose, relentlessly spattering drops against the windows of Esther's house and lashing away at the three new birches in the back garden. Esther herself had gone with Judge Stevenson to an early afternoon concert featuring a small chamber orchestra playing Baroque music, including, ironically enough, she told Poppy over their improvised breakfast, Handel's water music, and would not return until she had dinner with him. Heat up as much of anything left over that you like and help yourself to the remaining wine and spirits. I doubt I'll be in much before nine. Although she'd not made any plans to go out on this day, Poppy found herself pacing the halls like a caged animal, unable to light anywhere and concentrate. On her third circuit of the ground floor, she noticed a shimmer in the air in front of the study. She stopped and stared at the elongated oval of shine, shrugged her shoulders, and stepped into the study, closing the door behind her. What is it? she asked of the air. I'll be going into the dimension of ghosts this evening. Is there anything you would like me to ask about? Anyone you want me to talk to? He became a bit more defined. If you can find out if there's anything suspicious about Eastley's death, I'd like to know about it. If it was just a foolish accident, then I won't waste my time on it. She thought a moment. I'd also like to know anything you can find out about what not is up to these days. All right, but why not? Holt asked, mildly amused at his inadvertent joke. Because not is looking for Darrington, Poppy said, thinking it obvious, and he might have a lead on what happened to Warren. It's like trying to untie a knot, isn't it? You need to find an end, an end to the cord, and that's why I hope not, what I hope not is. If he's located Darrington, then perhaps we can find Louise and Stacy through him. That's a logical trail, Holt agreed. I'll do my best. She sat down at the desk. I don't. I can't ask any more than that, can I? Holt floated nearer to her. Don't fret, Poppy. I can deal with Loring if it comes to that. I'm honored that you would come to my defense, but you needn't. I shouldn't have realized that he would continue to try to account for how you notified him of where Stacy had confined me. He isn't going to believe ostensible explanations, is he? No, said Holt, coming so near to her that the edge of the desk appeared to cut him in half just below the waist. But don't let that worry you. He's only trying to show you how interested he is in you. It's his manner of flirting. He's not actually all that concerned about me, but he knows that something strange is going on. There we go. Something hanky in today's terms. (laughs) These are so fun. I love Poppy. I just think she's a wonderful character. 
and I love the ghost. He's he's so suave <laughs> and gentlemanly. He's a gentleman. He's a gentleman haunt, and um, you know. Yes. Uh, and I, I'll tell you what I have the most fun writing, of course, is his relationship with Maestro the cat. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Tell us a little about that. Yes, mm-hmm. Maestro can see him because animals can see him. You know, people if they aren't on the same wavelength as he is can't see him, but Poppy can because of their tie about through her father. But Maestro <laughs> likes. He's one of those cats. Who, you know, his idea of greeting you is to grab you around the ankles, and. Oh. Um, <laughs> and when he tries that with Holt, it doesn't work because Holt is non-corporeal. He isn't, you know, he has no no body. So of course, you know, Maestro gets intensely frustrated. So his standard reaction to the presence of of Holt is to hiss and then to curl up in a ball and do his best to pretend he's not there. <laughs> right, right. That sounds like you know cats very well, and I know you. Yes, do. <laughs> and 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 ghosts because you know we've written plenty of ghosts too, and uh, none of them you know, as, as real major, uh, main characters, but I'm curious, have you ever, uh, forgotten that, that, uh, Chesterton is a ghost and had him try to do something that he just can't do? <laughs> uh, no, uh, he's strong enough that he, you know, he reminds me, you know, the only thing he has, he has three things he can do in terms of physical, um, things that don't require you to be able to see him. Uh, one of them is he can make lights blink. He can make static ah. on the telephone. And if he happens to touch you, you feel very cold where he, where he's been because you know basically his ghostly um, presence has you know gone into your into your flesh. Most people don't like that yeah. sensation very much. Even Poppy isn't quite used to it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he puts his hand. If you know, at one point I remember he goes to comfort her and he puts his hand on hers and it sinks through her hand and her hand goes cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. So, and so where did the where did your idea for this come from? I mean, it's a really unique idea. I've never heard of anything quite like this. Just the basic, the concept, the, 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 the you know, deceased investigator. <laughs> what made you think of this? How did you come up with this? I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, by the time I'm actually aware of coming up with something, it's usually about half cooked and I'm finally, you know, I'm finally being able to see the, you know, how it, how it, and, its circumstances work. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I have. You know, I let, I, I'm very glad to let my subconscious do its job and then inform me when it's. You know, when you know my participation is needed. Um, yeah. But uh, when I, I've shied away from ghost stories for a long time, largely because the, the whole problem of non-corporeality kept coming up. You know, right. if they, you know, if they don't have an actual physical body, if you know what they are is some sort of weird projection. Um, then interacting with them becomes very tricky. You know, we right. usually like yeah. to be able to touch things. It makes us feel a lot more secure. And, uh, you know, so to do that and then make the character viable without all the, the things that usually go with viability, um, it's, it's tricky to do. I agree. On the other hand, you know, at least it isn't boring. Right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So. And so, you know, and ghosts are fun. Yeah, they are. They, 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 they are. Fun. Everybody and the dimension of ghosts is fun, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I like the parts in the dimensions of ghosts because, you know, the fact that they, they really are not talking, they are communicating in another way because they don't have, you know, they don't have a, a throat and a tongue to talk with. Right, yeah. exactly. Uh, <laughs> or which, air in their lungs to use. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I know. I and, know uh, and, you know, that's why the, the dimensions of ghosts, all the dialogue is in italics to remind you that they are not really talking. Right. They are doing something yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And most of the time when the ghosts arrive there, of course, because most of them arrive there traumatically, right. uh, they're very disoriented and they can't remember a lot of what's going on. So trying to get information out of early arrival ghosts is very tricky. Yeah, they're not, that <laughs> <laughs> they're not really uh, fully aware of what's happened. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It, did were you a fan of the uh, the Topper Ghost? Because there's a little bit of this that reminds me of it. The 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 charming aspects is what I'm talking about. Poppy and Chester well, and talking. Well, and you know, you're right. I mean, I Thorn Smith is definitely on mm-hmm. my mind when I put it together. Uh, on the other hand, um, 
you know, unlike um, the uh, George Kirby and 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 his wife and their dog, mm-hmm. um, you know, Neil isn't that the, yeah, that's the name of the dog is Neil, and uh, they uh, mine can't do things like drink martinis. It's like Helena. There's a certain charm to them that that puts me in mind of that. Um, well, um, thank you. I'm very flattered. Ah, it's so nice. I really enjoy these books. They um, are. They're they're, they're, uh, they're, yeah. they're a lot different um, than, well, than, than. Yeah, they're fun. I, they're they're very. I just yeah. turned. I just turned in the the third one, so you know, part of me finds it really interesting to revisit Living Spectres because you know now that I'm you know just finished Shining Phantoms, uh, you know, mm-hmm. part of me says now, I, I I want to talk about some of it, but of course, you won't be able to read it for a year, so. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, some of us will. <laughs> some of us will. Some well, of us. That, some yes. Of us, yeah. Some of us are very yeah. very lucky. <laughs> we right. are. Yeah. This series, though, is extra fun because you're dealing with a, a few really, really fun things. You're dealing with, with history, you're dealing mm-hmm. with ghosts, and you're dealing with crime. And and, mm-hmm. you know, and the era is fun too. Yeah, exactly the history. So so yeah. what what is well, your favorite aspect of this, and what's the most difficult? Well, you know, it's the usual thing. You have to remind yourself what the people do and don't have. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know. I spend a lot of time going around through my, my uh, things like my history of the automobile and my history of the airplane so that I don't have the wrong things at the wrong time, you know. And there, I also yeah. have a, 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 book, a book on, you know, commercial products. And so, you know, uh, is ivory soap around then? Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, what... Who who is who is making what kind of domestic appliance? I mean, who's making washing machines because they have washing machines? Yeah. Who's making refrigerators? You know, because they have refrigerators. And but you know, also what are they like? And right. how reliable is the electronic uh, grid? And the answer is moderately. I mean, you know, in the third book, there's a whole section where the lights are out for several days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is inconvenient. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, and you know. Uh, and that's just, you know, but it's a fact of life, at, you know, mm-hmm. in that part of the world at that time. And, uh, you know, the other thing is, what are, the, what are the literary styles like? I mean, after all, she's a reporter, so we've got to be careful about that. And they used a yeah. lot more hyphens then than we do now. I mean, briefcase had a hyphen in it back then. Oh, right, right. Hyphen case. Isn't that funny? And, that's um, funny. Mm-hmm. Well, but, you know, that's part of this. And the other thing is, when you say phone instead of telephone and you write it it has to have an apostrophe in front of the P because it's an abbreviation right and I mean it's you know it's things like that that tend, tend to drive me slightly bananas while I'm working because I want to make sure I don't introduce um, a slip of the of the modern of the modern language I mean very careful about slang at least I've got a partridges to help me and um, right and you know that's where I found out about the okay. Yeah, right, yeah, right. that's one of those things that's so ubiquitous that writers often don't think to look them up. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And you know, it's like in the in World War Two, uh, Germans were referred to as Krauts, but in World War One, they were referred to as Huns. Hmm. Ah, and and so you know, occasionally when Loring talks about his really, really ghastly experiences. And occasionally also, Holt himself, you know, when they refer to the Germans, if they don't say Germans, they say Huns. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I would think, one thing I'm curious about, I think it would be difficult. I think one of the things that would be really difficult about writing this is you've got uh, Holt, who uh, helps, uh, you know, Poppy uh, uncover a lot of the answers, and, you know, and yet she can't let Loring know who her source is, right? Right. So, or, or so, for that matter, she can't let Lowenthal know. Can you imagine right. what a newspaper editor of the period exactly. would do if you said, oh, by the way, I got this information, this confirmation from a ghost. Exactly. <laughs> you know, after exactly. Yeah. Say, you know, after so he finished laughing, he'd fire you. <laughs> exactly. So, so how do you, how do you, you know, and, and it's, it's entertaining, you know, and it won't give any spoilers or anything like that, but, but how do you, 
go about? Do you is it difficult? Do you find it difficult to find ways of 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 for Poppy to to be, you know the the you know the, to solve the crime or come up with the clue or whatever without you know being able to say oh this is you know where I got it from it this dead guy let me know you know <laughs> is that a difficult thing to do? Well, only when it's difficult for her. She's one of those characters who more or less writes herself. Same thing with Chesterton. Right. Nice. Yeah. You know, and when you've got a character with bit in its teeth, you know, let them have it because it makes all the difference in the world. Because, you know, if they're real enough to fight with you, they're going to be real for the reader. If they aren't real enough to fight with you, your reader may find them cardboard and they'd be right. Right. Oh, very (laughs) true. Uh, So now this one one takes place in uh, 1924. If... if Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know how long you plan to go um, with the series, uh, but but I'm thinking if you do continue it and you do go chronologically, are you gonna? You know, right now I think and and forgive me if I'm wrong. I'm not a great at history, but right now this is probably like the flapper era. Um, would yeah. you would you, would you get into you know if you continued this series long enough, would you get into like the Great Depression, uh, things like that? And, well, that and be, you know, my, yeah. my my current plan is five books. Um, oh, and I've, I have just turned in the third and I, you know, I'm about to start. The third one takes place, um, essentially over, over Christmas in 1924 and, uh, and doesn't quite, the, well, the epilogue gets to 1925. So, mm-hmm. and then the, the, the number four is, I think on the 4th of July weekend of 1925. Oh, nice. Good. And close together. They are, they are, they are chronological partially so we can actually have the overarching five book plot of what how the hell they get yeah. Stacy back. You know, what's gonna right. happen to Stacy. <laughs> oh sure. Right. Yes. That makes sense. You know, and, you know, it, it would be nice to hoist him on his own petard, but you know, he's also a very sneaky guy. And so trying to get get out of him what he's actually planning to do that's going to you know bring bring him up short, he he will not reveal. Right, right. And we we read all that in the very first book, which is Great fun, and can you tell the reader, the listeners, the title, so they can look it up? You mean a haunting investigation? That's it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So the first that's book the is a haunting investigation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a fun book. I could practically hear music playing the whole time. Yeah, this is. This <laughs> is no, yeah, yeah, seriously, this is this is great. It, it is. It's totally fun. And I, I wonder mm-hmm. if you plan on doing. If you plan on doing five five books. Do you know? How it's going to end? Do you know, or do you, or is this one of those that kind of like writes itself? Like you said, Poppy writes herself. But how much of the plot has written itself, or 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 have you planned? Well, I, you know, I have them, I have them set up in 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 certain ways, and um, you know, as I say, the overall big story arc, which is the Stacy arc, as I tend to think of it, uh, you know, that goes all the way through the fifth book, and um, but. As you you probably remember in in Haunting Investigation, at one point uh, when she's at Hadley and Grimes, Poppy is handed a note saying, you know, you're in danger, get out of here. Mm-hmm. More or less. I don't have the exact wording, but you know, she gets this note. It, yeah. you know, aside from the fact that it bothers her, we don't know anything more about it, you know, and it doesn't connect to anything that's resolved at the end of the first book, and then it crops up again in the second and the third. So the fourth book is who the hell is sending her these notes and why is she getting them sent? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, wow. uh, and you know, the, the fifth book is when all the pigeons come home to roost, only now they're buzzards. Oh, right, that's going right. to be so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we get to but read then, early. Oh. I know. I love it. That's and, you know, the third book, the third book, which, you know, takes place at Christmas, and, you know, Poppy's one of those people who gets depressed at Christmas. And so ah. she often talks, she talks during it about the black dogs that, that you know, that are um, giving her trouble, which is what they used to call depression. Didn't yeah. know that. Interesting. See, I yeah. wouldn't know that either. Yeah, I thought you meant the supernatural ones in Britain. When you're writing, when you're writing a historical, you know, character like if if if, if we're writing a book and it's a, it's a, it's a current day character, the story ends and we just think, oh, you know, they go on and do whatever, and we don't really think much about it. If we're writing something historical. Usually, you know, they're a ghost, and we know, you know, what happened to them. 
in a case like Poppy Thornton, um, let's say that the, do you ever think, I know this, this might sound a little over the top, but, but <laughs> do you ever think, you know, okay, so it's, it's 1924 now and she's this old. Do you know, even like, like, do you, do you think, do you know what happens to her after this series ends? Do you ever think about that? Like, like how old she was when she died, even though she doesn't exist? <laughs> uh, well, I occasionally, you know, occasionally I, I, you know, wonder how far I can, I can project her ahead. You know, it's like one of the things I'm very careful about. Yes, she's a feminist, but she's a feminist in the style of the 20s, which is very different right. than modern feminism. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's very important to make sure that I don't find myself, you know, lapsing into the, you know, the language of my own time on the issues. Because for one thing, mm-hmm. a lot of those words didn't exist back then. And right. conceptually, it would not have been attractive to most of what feminism was doing at the time. Right. Uh-huh. Poppy would not burn her bra. <laughs> yeah. Well, the bra had only been invented three three years before. Yeah. Exactly. She was yeah, happy to have one. Scrapping them down. Yeah. Yeah. She was happy we're to have one. She's not burning that sucker. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, no, they, they, you know, everybody, yeah. everybody, every, you know, all the women wore corsets, light corsets or heavy corsets. It didn't matter. Right. They wore corsets. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a a bra was, and you know, an infinitely prefer- preferable to have to, you know. Essentially, you know, tie yourself up in in stuff with whalebone um, yeah. to be properly dressed. My mom and was a so, young teenager in the flapper era, and uh, she was the envy of all her little girlfriends because she didn't have to have to strap down her uh, small breasts because she was flat chested, and everybody else was binding them. She told me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, they did. Oh, wow. and that's one of the reasons that the that the brassiere was invented was so you wouldn't have to bind yourself. Yeah, you could put on. You would put. You know, you could put on a garment that did pretty much the same thing, of course, you did, with, but without less lacing you all the way all the way down to the top of your hip. Right. Yeah. Right. So this is kind of weird, and it, it's kind of a. Uh... I never thought about that. I didn't know that binding they bound them, and yeah, and you know what 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 was the reason for that? I don't understand. Was, well, for one thing, being flat chested was the fashion, and for okay. another, uh, you know, if you're going to dance dance at Charleston and you have say a C or a D cup. <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> oh, the mental image I just got. <laughs> okay. I get it. I do. I get it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right. Back to Chester oh. and Holt. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, I want to ask some personal questions, too. Like, All right. Go right ahead. What do you, okay. What do you wear while you're writing? Yes. Well, it depends on the yeah. time of day. In the morning, you know, if I'm not actually just wrapped in a towel having taken a bath, and I have very large mm-hmm. towels. So they're, they're very nice to wrap up in. Um, but, um, you know, I usually, if I if I just get up and go in and start writing, I'm still in my pajamas. Uh, in the afternoon or any time after about 10.30 or 11, you know, I will get dressed and I'll probably wear really, really comfortable slacks and, you know, um, a nice comfy sweatshirt or sweater, depending on the time of year. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't I don't dress up to write because, you know, who's going to notice? Yeah. I mean, if, if I've got to eat yeah. something like go out to lunch or go shopping or, you know, right, right. Um, you know, visit someone or someone's coming over, I will dress a little bit more. But, you know, why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, it kind of right. stops me with the, the writing, writing in pajamas because uh, I, I can't imagine not being fully dressed before writing. Then I realize that's because I don't wear clothes and vests. <laughs> that wouldn't work. Not with cats. You know, the couch would take a real beating, probably. But... <laughs> All right. While we're, while we're talking, while we're talking personal questions, uh, I gotta know: Can you do okay. the Charleston? Have you ever done the Charleston? <laughs> well, I can't do it now because, of course, the arthritis doesn't old. let me. But uh, <laughs> uh, can I do it? Yeah, I can do it. I can do nice. the Indies Wall. I can do. Really? All, I, I can even do the Tango. And, really? you know, and, and, oh yeah, I used, you know, I, before my knees went bad, I mean, I, I not only did a lot of ballet, but I, um, you know, I belonged to, um, um, a ballroom dancing cotillion that we had in junior high school and high school. Nice. 
Yeah. I have to say, I think I think that the, the tango is like seriously the sexiest dance ever. I do. Yeah. I think it's oh, it is. No, I love. I love. It. Have you ever? There was a wonderful episode they did on 60 Minutes many years ago about that Morley Sacred did about the Finnish fashion in in tangos. Now I'm half Finn, so I understand the problem. I mean, Finns <laughs> are very quiet and very uh, shy people, uh, and uh, they started opening tango parlors so that they would spend a little, they would have develop their social graces and have a little fun. Well. Watching the Finns do the tango is like watching two people perform a necessary but slightly unpleasant social duty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's that and vocabulary that, I, mean, I love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so do you sing? You compose music, you dance, you write, you. Oh, and we got to yep. talk about your play too. But do you sing? Uh, yeah, I took a lot of voice lessons. Really? And uh, yeah, and um, you know, I'm well, I'm not now, but you know, when I when I still had, you know, the the basic solid voice, you know, um, you know, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a fairly broad range, so I could sing most lyric soprano and most lyric mezzo soprano stuff. Nice. I can't imagine that, but I, but you know, I mean. <laughs> Like, like, like when I, okay. So what I'm, what I mean is when I hear soprano, I always think they must have really high voices. Like when they talk like, no, no, they don't. don't. (laughs) Nope. Nope. They don't. (laughs) I I, I know it's, you know, but you know, usually, usually singers have very, very pretty speaking voices. That's been my experience with the singers that I've, that I've known. And, uh, you know, um, almost anybody associated with music, um, seriously associated with music, you know, if they don't sing rock and roll and they scream into microphones, but if they have actually had vocal training and have basically solid voices to begin with, you know, they, that really, really helps their, you know, their regular speaking voice just because it becomes uh, better centered and doesn't tend to uh, overwhelm. And it doesn't get, you know, scratchy, you know, it doesn't, you don't get that sort of, weird half horse sound that people who have yelled too much develop when they develop. Well, it's, it's because they develop calluses on their vocal cords. That's why they sound yeah. that way. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Before, but definitely before we run out of time, uh, we need to talk a little bit about Sherlock Holmes and the case of the American twins. Yeah. Uh, tell us what oh, yeah. that is. Well, that's, uh, that's my own novel, novel, uh, novellaization of the play that I wrote for the uh, the Baker Street Players up in uh, Jackson, California. They have a Sherlockian group there. And uh, when they were going to expand into doing productions, I offered, uh, you know, to write them a play because I'd done those four uh, Mycroft Holmes books with Bill Fawcett years ago. So, I, you know, I, I, I know the mindset and I can do it reasonably well. And so I wrote them the, uh, wrote them the play and they performed it. They did... Um, they did eight performances, and every single performance was sold out, which makes them very happy as a as a first right. effort. And um, now they so they they they're doing a couple of other Sherlockian plays, not mine, but they they said they'd like to have another one. So I am, um, you know, I'm in the process of putting it together. It's called the Case of the Discreet Madam, and because uh, nice. one of the things that you know is really missing from from Doyle, and I understand he was a Victorian writer, so that probably explains it. But you know, here we are told that um, that you know Sherlock has this massive and total understanding of the uh, world of criminals in London, and he knows everything. But he never runs into anybody in the sex trade, and the sex trade was flourishing in the Victorian <laughs> period in England. So we you know, that's one area it. where I. <laughs> where I feel, where I feel, it's you know number one appropriate to go because of course if he knows all these other things he knows the madams, and right. um, I, you know the gal who played uh, Madame Yao in the first play uh, did such a good job and she was saying how much fun she had so I've done a play about Madame Yao not as a secondary character but as the primary character the one that that both the, both Holmes brothers has to help out. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Nice. So now, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I understand the actress was delighted when she found out about it. <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> now, now, fans of you and fans of, of, of Sherlock Holmes will be happy to know that apparently you wrote, you and Bill Fawcett co-wrote four novels featuring Mycroft Holmes, uh, and they are available digitally. Uh, against yep. the Brotherhood, Embassy Row, the Flying Scotsman, and the Scottish Ploy. So this isn't yeah, your first. Bad pun. They're, they're, they're all bad puns, but that's okay. Against the Brotherhood, Embassy Row, the Flying Scotsman, and the Scottish Ploy. Embassy Row can also it. be pronounced. Embassy Row can also be pronounced Embassy Row. Oh, I and see. They're having one. I see. <laughs> I see. Got it. <laughs> so this isn't this isn't your first foray into Sherlock Holmes, though. But this is this is this is a play, and you apparently you 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 began your career writing children's plays. So this is kind yep. of like a this is kind of like a full circle thing for you, and it's a whole different entity. I mean, I've never written a play, but I I, I know enough to know that it's a, it's a whole different thing. What are some oh, of the yeah, differences? I, yeah, what are some of the differences for you that you find uh, intriguing or interesting between you know novel well, writing and play writing? Well, novel writing, you know, you fill in everything. You have to account for everybody's, what they're doing and, you know, how they are and all that. But, you know, basically what you do is you supply the dialogue and an occasional insert of, you know, what action or sometimes state of mind that you want conveyed. And then you, then you have to leave it up to the people playing it to make it, to make it happen. Right, and right. One of the things that I didn't do in the first script, but I'm doing in this script, is occasionally I use Victorian slang, and I include in the line, in brackets, what it is they are actually saying in terms of modern language. Right. Because you know, right. it's like when, right. when you know, uh, Wiggins, the head of the Baker Street Irregulars, uh, you know, says he'll come up the dancers. Mm-hmm. What did he just say? It means he'll come up the back stairs. Like the dancer's entrance? Is that where that comes from? It comes from Cockney Cockney rhyming slang. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Nice. I I love it. So uh, before we let you go, you said that you are now. You, I'm sorry if I'm wrong. You just you finished. You just finished the third in the in the Chesterton Holt series, right? And just turned it. Yeah, I turned it in um, a couple of weeks ago, and now I am waiting to hear what you know what the, the editor would like to have cut or 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 uh, right. changed. And this yeah. is my least favorite part of writing is what is what I call the silence because the characters aren't talking to me anymore, and neither is my editor. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a pain. <laughs> this this latest book, the one the book that we've been talking about, is called Living Specters, and it is the second in the Chesterton Holt Gentleman Haunt Mystery series. Uh, this is like a historical sleuthy. It's really great fun, and uh, this came out just uh, on the first or the second of November, just a day or two ago, either way. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we've both, yeah, we've both, we've both read it, Tamara and I, and we we think this is great. This is a wonderful series, and we I'm do. happy we to hear. It. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that Thank there's you. going to be five. I, I was hoping there would be more mm-hmm. than just three. Yeah, this stuff. Well, yeah. You know, if a, for example, if it, there's an overwhelming um, enthusiasm for it and lots and lots of people buy it and it does extremely yeah. well, you know, and, and Paul comes to me and says, you know, you want to do some more? I'm not foolish. I'm happy, you know, yeah. as, long as, right. the characters, as long as the characters don't, don't, you know, just fall apart on me, you know, I'm happy to continue. Nice. nice. Yeah. Well, then you know, we're I also... Oh. I also I'm also looking for another publisher for San Germain, so. Nice. Because nice. I'm halfway through oh. book 27, so. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, more of him. Oh, yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. So you are always a pleasure, and you are, of course, always welcome back anytime. Well, it's uh, fun to talk yeah. to you guys, as you know. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. So before, before we let yeah. you go, could you, could you tell the listeners where they can find out more about you? About me? Yes, and your or work. about the book. <laughs> Either uh, well, one. Your, web, your website? <laughs> you know, the book? Uh, yes. I have, I have, a, I have a, uh, a Facebook page, which is Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough Author. Okay. And it's, got, it's and got the most recent stuff. And then I've got, a, uh, I've got my, my own um, site, which is Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough, all one word. Um, mm-hmm. dot net. Nice. Right. All right. 
All right. Well, and the book uh, is available I, now everywhere. It's available now. Yeah. It's called Living Specters, and the first book in the series is uh, Haunting Investigation. Uh, mm-hmm. Check it out, folks. It's good stuff. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, thank you, Quinn, for being on the show. We'll chat next week yes, more about cat stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll send you a letter tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thanks for being on. Yes. Be good. Yes. Be good to yourselves, and we'll talk later. All right. Okay. Talk to you later. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, until next week, Bye-bye. we wish you haunted nights. And sweet screams. All right. Thank you for listening. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.